morning is from Luke 12, 35 through 48. This is what Holy Scripture says. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given or of him much will be required, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks, Nathan, for reading that. Good morning. And welcome again to King's Church. I'm David, uh, the assistant pastor here. And as we continue in our, ser- our sermon series through Luke, let's go before the Lord again in prayer and ask him to assist us. Father God, we thank you for this time. Prepare our hearts to hear your word. Let us receive it with soberness and with joy. Let us see Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen. On September 9th, 1861, in the early days of the Civil War, a 21-year-old Union soldier named William Scott stood before a firing squad. A letter written by his captain recalled his demeanor. He was deadly pale and shook from head to foot and was almost unable to sustain his weight. Why was this former farm boy from Vermont sentenced to be executed. Well, nine days ago, on August 31st, he had been found asleep at his post. He had been on guard duty near the chain bridge. The chain bridge connects Washington, D.C. to Virginia. 
And Virginia had just recently left the Union for the Confederacy and was now enemy territory. So this was a very strategic location. And in those days and throughout much of history, falling asleep at your post was a crime worthy of death. Now, William Scott was a well-liked soldier, and almost 200 signatures were gathered from other men asking that his life might be spared, especially since the reason that he fell asleep was because he had served on sentry duty two nights in a row, which is unusual. And the reason he had served on sentry duty two nights in a row was because he had volunteered to take a place of a sick friend. What William didn't know in that terrible moment as he stood before the firing squad was that the petition to save his life had actually gone up the chain of command and President Lincoln had already pardoned him. Now, the officers of Camp Lyon, where he was stationed, however, wanted to use him as an example of the seriousness of sleeping while on guard duty. Kind of terrible for this guy. His captain recounts what happened next. After all was ready, the pardon was read to him in the hearing of all. This took a great load off the minds of that vast crowd, all of whom sympathized most keenly with that unfortunate young man, and they gave vent to their joy in cheer upon cheer for the president that made the land of Dixie ring all around. So it's a dramatic story, but with a happy ending. And what's striking, perhaps, to many of us is that William Scott would be sentenced to death in the first place. It seems like an overly excessive punishment. But before we pat ourselves on the back for having advanced beyond such backward practices, it's important to try to see it from the perspective of the military at that time. The stakes were high. Falling asleep at sentry duty could have resulted in a great loss of life and a capture of strategic locations, especially Washington, D.C., which was the Union capital. To be attentive, to be watchful, was an issue of great importance because they lived in the reality of war. In our passage for today, Jesus urges us to live in a certain way, to be watchful, not like a soldier, but a faithful servant because of a certain reality, and that reality is his return. In the last couple of weeks, Jason has been highlighting what our priority in life ought to be seeking the kingdom of God rather than building up our own kingdoms here on earth, to store up treasure in heaven rather than storing, it, storing up treasures on earth. And this passage continue, continues to help us focus on what our priority in life ought to be. It's giving us a different facet of what it means to follow Christ, to seek first the kingdom. An aspect of that is living in anticipation of Christ's return. So how then should we live? Well, there are three ways we ought to live in light of Jesus' second coming. And the first way is that we are to be watchful. Be watchful. Jesus begins with this command, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. The command is more literally, always have your loins girded. Well, in that time, people wore these long flowing robes and when any vigorous action was required, whether it was hard work or war, they had to tuck the bottoms of their robes into their belts to allow for unrestricted movement. A similar expression today might be, keep your sleeves rolled up. And to, keep, and, and to go on, to keep their lamps burning 
meant to be in a state of readiness to move, to take action even in the middle of night instead of stumbling in the dark and fumbling for a match. And Jesus goes on to give this parable. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. In those days, Jewish weddings could last for a week, so a servant could really have no idea when their master would return home. But watchful servants are those who are ready at any moment for the return of their master. The floors are swept, the lamps are burning brightly, they're ready to spring up and spring into action the minute they hear that knock on the door. They are living watchfully and expectantly for the master's return. One of the best restaurants in the world is Alinea in Chicago. It's run by chef and co-owner Grant Ackitts, and it has won numerous awards and accolades, including three Michelin stars for its innovative menu, which includes playful and creative dishes such as an edible helium balloon, and of course, exceptional service. Now, I've never gone, but I had a foodie friend who has gone twice, and of course, he described the food as amazing and one of a kind. But he was also very impressed with their attentiveness to him as a diner. On his first visit, on his first visit he expressed preferences about his food and drink, and they were, of course, very accommodating within reason. But what really blew him away was that when he went again, more than a year later, they brought up his preferences right away and asked if they had changed or remained the same. They, they, they knew him. They had kept a file on him. Now, my friend is not famous, and this is a restaurant where probably the vast majority of people only go there once because they're from out of town or because they know it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. They don't need the same people to come back to stay in business. And yet, they were prepared for the return of every guest, including my friend. Now, Jesus is far more than a paying customer or potential patron. He is our Savior, our Lord. Are we living watchful, ready, prepared for his return? And we need to be watchful because while his return is certain, it's also unexpected. This is the point of the second parable in verse 39. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. A thief comes unexpectedly. Imagine if thieves were in the habit of leaving notes on your front door. Today at 3.14 a.m., I'll attempt to rob your house. There wouldn't be many thieves left, right? There's also a connection here with the parable of the rich fool that we saw earlier in this chapter in verses 16 and 20. If you recall, the rich man was gaining wealth and making plans for storing his acquired wealth in, in these new, wonderful barns. And he was saying to himself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Many of us live as if we have more time. We have plenty of years left before our death. Or we have plenty of years left before Jesus returns. But the truth is, no one knows when Jesus will return. 
but we know it's certain. We know it's unexpected. And we also know it's closer than it ever has been. So we need to be watchful. We need to live ready. So what does it mean to be watchful? One way to explain this is to look at its opposite. The opposite of being watchful is falling asleep, just like that Union soldier, William Scott. And the temptation for us as Christians is to fall asleep, to close our eyes to the reality that our time here is short, that living for God's kingdom is of primary importance, to invest in this world and not in the world to come. It is to let the fog of worldly concerns cloud us, confuse us, lull us to sleep so that when Jesus returns, we are shocked and ashamed of where we have put our time and our resources and our energies for the last 20, 30, and 40 years. Be watchful. Be ready by getting right with God. Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Be watchful by sharing the gospel to those who aren't ready for his return. Be ready by living as a servant of God, whether in the workplace or at home or in church, in all the various spheres of your life. Are you serving God first by working in a way that glorifies him, by training and teaching your children about their covenant God and his word, by doing whatever service that God has given you the gifts and opportunity to do? What's difficult is that while Christ's return is certain and closer than it ever has been before, it is, as we've noted, unexpected. And so we must, in some paradoxical way, also be prepared for a long period of watchfulness. It's why in verse 38, Jesus says, if he, the master, comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. It's easy to be watchful at the beginning of the long night. But by the second watch, which was 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., a servant might be getting a little sleepy, and the thought begins to creep in, maybe he's not coming after all tonight. And by the third watch, from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., the head is nodding, the eyelids are drooping, and the master's return is all but forgotten. To be watchful is also a call to endurance. It's finishing the marathon, not sprinting the first mile and giving up. It's walking with God until until death's door or or when he returns, whichever comes first. It's faithfulness. It's a long obedience in the same direction, as late Pastor Eugene Peterson would say, not a fervor that burns bright and then fizzles out. And faithfulness as God's servants is exactly what Jesus addresses next in this passage. The second way we are to live in light of Jesus' coming is to be faithful. Be faithful. After Jesus' last parable, Peter interjects and says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? We don't know exactly what motivated Peter's question, but one possibility that I like is that Peter is acting like that one student in your history class who in the middle of the teacher's lecture raises his hand and says, should we be paying attention? Is this going to be on the test? Well, Jesus is very gracious in not answering Peter's question because the answer is yes. As his disciples, we not only need to be watchful, we need to be faithful when he goes on to teach in the last parable of this passage. Who then is the faithful and wise manager 
whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Now, some translations use the word steward instead of manager, but the idea is the same. A steward or a manager does not have his own possessions, but has been given the master's resources for a period of time to use wisely and faithfully. Whether you're just exploring the Christian faith, a new Christian, or been a Christian for a long time, the idea of stewardship can grate against our sensibilities. We're Americans, after all. We own things, and we don't let anyone tell us what to do. Stewardship also grates against our sensibilities because we're sinners. We don't want to acknowledge that God is creator and owner of the whole world, and we think, my life is mine. My house is mine. My time is mine. But Jesus is telling us that it's not. We're managers. We're stewards. Is this how you see your life? Nothing that we have truly belongs to us. All that we have is God's, and so we are to use it not ultimately for ourselves, but for him, our possessions, our talents, our relationships. And because Jesus will return, we will have to give an account for how we have taken care of and used what he has given us. We must not be like the unfaithful steward described in verses 45 and 46. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. These are sobering words for all of us. The faithful steward lives expecting his master's return at any moment and so never uses his authority or the master's resources for selfish gain or his own pleasure. But the unfaithful steward, thinking that the master will return later, is caught in the act of abusing other servants and serving himself. In many ways, this is, again, similar to the parable of the rich fool who eats and drinks and is merry, never realizing that this night his soul is required of him and he will have to give an account to God. But there is also the additional offense of cruelty towards others with the unfaithful steward that we see in this passage, of abusing a position of authority that has been given to him by his master. And so we must not miss that there is also a specific application of the faithful steward to those who are in spiritual leadership. 1 Timothy 3.15 describes the church as the household of God, and 1 Corinthians 4.1 describes the apostles, which included Peter, so yes, Peter, Jesus is talking to you, as stewards within this house. This responsibility of spiritual leadership has now been passed on to elders and pastors within the church. And so those in spiritual authority must exercise great care and faithfulness in their task, not using their position for selfish gain or the harm of others. Those who abuse their positions will experience great judgment and reveal themselves to have never truly known God, which is why Jesus says he will put him with the unfaithful. So while these words are sobering for those in positions of spiritual responsibility, they can also be words of great comfort for those who have suffered spiritual abuse. Jesus will come again, 
and he will judge those who have cruelly used others. He will make those wrongs right. But regardless of whether we are in spiritual leadership, the final principle of verses 47 through 48 applies to us all. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. To whom much is given, much will be required. On April 18, 1998, the first round of the NFL draft began. The Indianapolis Colts had the first overall pick, and most analysts predicted they would either pick Peyton Manning or Ryan Leaf, both of whom were considered worthy of going number one and would be future franchise quarterbacks. Now, Ryan Leaf, however, did not want to play for the Colts, and so he purposely missed a meeting with them, which, along with other factors, led to the Colts picking Peyton Manning first and the San Diego Chargers picking Ryan Leaf second. Upon being selected by the Chargers, Leaf said, I'm looking forward to a 15-year career, a couple trips to the Super Bowl, and a parade through downtown San Diego. And at 6'5", 235 pounds, his physical gifts were undeniable. Along with his talent, he had finished third in the voting for the Heisman the year he entered the draft. But bad behavior, struggles with his work ethic and ability to stay focused, along with poor play and injuries, led to him being out of the league in just four years. Especially when compared to Peyton Manning, who won two two Super Bowls, and also five MVPs, Ryan Leaf is considered one of the biggest draft busts of all time. And as much as we may lament such talent wasted or give Ryan a hard time for not using his gifts well, what about us? Many of us in this room have been given much. Many of us have grown up in Christian homes, in good churches that have taught the Bible faithfully, We've been nurtured and nourished by family, friends, pastors. We've read good books. We've heard many sermons. We've been gifted by God with able bodies, sharp minds, financial resources, positions of influence, a good education. And all of it we have received from God's hand. Have you used it for him? Are you using it for him? Will you use it for him? Be faithful. Being watchful, being faithful are two ways we ought to live in light of Christ's return. And as we've seen, the stakes are high. Our eternal destiny is in view. And the reality is that we've all been unfaithful stewards. We have fallen asleep. We have squandered God's gifts, which is why we also need the third and final way we ought to live in light of Jesus' return. The third way we ought to live is be amazed by our master. Be amazed by our master. Clearly, Jesus is the master in this passage, and he is just, punishing the unfaithful. But we also see that he rewards the faithful. Let's look at his rewards. In verses 43 through 44, we see that the faithful servant is called blessed. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes, managing the resources well. And he's rewarded. Truly, I say to you, 
He will set him over all his possessions. And yet, is that the reward that we would expect? In some sense, yes. Faithfulness in small things often results in greater responsibility and trust. Many of you have experienced this in your workplace. But in another sense, this is completely undeserved. Jesus is not bound to reward us in this way. He could just say, good job, and move on, and that would be perfectly right. We begin to see that this is a gracious reward, one that is given out of his good pleasure, an abundance of blessing. To set us over all his possessions is to treat us less like stewards, but more like sons. For those who follow him are not only his servants, but sons and daughters of God. And if we work backwards to verse 37, we see another reward. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If ever there was a twist in a parable, this is it. As watchful servants, we are ready and waiting for Jesus' return. But instead of us serving him, when he, return, he's, when he returns, he says, sit, my faithful servants. Let me serve you. This would have shocked his listeners. Masters did not act like servants. Their roles were very fixed. Yet Jesus is no ordinary master. He is just, and he is also overflowing with grace. He is the king, yet he came to serve. His delight is to serve his servants. This is an incredibly gracious reward, fully undeserved, and we cannot help but see him not only as a gracious master, but as a loving bridegroom, inviting us to dine and to sup with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Be amazed at our master, who does not let evil go unpunished, and who is full of grace and love for his servants for his sons and daughters, and for his bride. And be amazed at Jesus, who on the night he was to be betrayed said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Three times he prayed for the cup of God's righteous anger against sin to pass from him. And three times he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. But he did not punish them for their unfaithfulness, their lack of watchfulness. Instead, he was a true and faithful servant who obeyed his father's will, went to the cross, and died for the unfaithfulness of his disciples and for you and me. He rose again on the third day so that we might live in his resurrection power and be the faithful servants he has called us to be. As Pastor Phil Riken says, Christianity is not a religion for faithful servants, but a gospel, a good news for unfaithful servants. This is amazing grace. This is amazing love. Be amazed at our master. Be motivated by both the sober commands and warnings of this passage, but also the gracious love of Christ. And in doing so, be watchful and faithful until he returns. Let's pray. Our Father God, we look at this passage and its sober commands and warnings and we feel the weight of its seriousness. And I pray that for those of us who 
have not been living faithfully, that it would be a cause to repent, a cause to renew our commitment, our love, our obedience to you, and that we would do so and live faithfully, not out of fear, but because we know that you are not only a just master, but you are a gracious master. You long to give us rewards. You, your heart is to pour out your grace upon us. And we thank you for the grace of Jesus through his death and resurrection that has saved us, that has changed us, that now allows us to live for you, to live in light of his return. We pray all this in his name. Amen.